Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson with you. And Logan, we got nothing to talk about. No news, nothing significant since we last sat down at these here microphones. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're a little late to the party, but some interesting stuff happened with the team. <laughs> yeah, just to say the least. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the bonus episodes uh, that we pulled from my radio show, which, of course, the Hoffman Show, 4 to 7 each and every day on the Team 980, where I kind of laid out my thoughts, my big, long uh, monologue that I, I had written, and then our chat with David Aldridge as well. But, Logan, uh, that, no, no one's heard your reaction to the news yet. So we'll get into that and some of the, kind of the more important high-level things that are still relevant a few days later and start looking ahead to what the Josh Harris era is going to look like as, of course, the news we're talking about is that Daniel Snyder has agreed to sell the Commanders for a record $6 billion, according to multiple reports. Uh, just, you know, cleaning up the loose ends, Logan, like it's a non-exclusive deal as of right now. So theoretically, another buyer could come in and, and bid higher. No one really expects that to happen. Uh, it's still got to be approved by the league. But considering who the people in this group are, specifically Harris is the lead bidder who's already a, an owner in other major sports leagues. Uh, there should be no problems with the vetting and the finances. No one's anticipating any hiccups there. Um, the, really, the biggest questions are, you know, in terms of like, any legal or remaining legal questions around the lawsuits that are and investigations that are into the team and Dan and indemnity. And those are either big or small questions, depending on which reporter you ask and who their sources are, et cetera, et cetera. But on the whole, um, the, the, the distilled version is Dan has agreed to sell the team and he's agreed to sell the team to Josh Harris. So when you found that out, when you saw that news last week, what was your reaction? I mean, I think there's a lot of fans that are rightfully so very excited about it. I was just kind of like it was inevitable at some point. If it wasn't this year, it was going to be next year. Like it just I think there was too much stuff going on around the team with the other owners and Dan, the legal stuff like it just, you know, like this is an inevitability. And um, so I'm happy for the fan base. I think, you know, a lot of them have a fair amount of animosity towards Dan. And um, I think when you look at the team's history and since Dan's ownership, I think there's a lot of justification for that in certain instances. You know, I don't know Dan personally, um, so I don't want to speak on that. But, I, you know, just when you look at the history and the events of the team, I get why fans are excited. So, um, you know, I'm excited for the team, too. Uh, you know, all change isn't necessarily good change, but I think 
you know, under Dan's leadership, you've kind of got to see, you know, much like you would with a head coach, you get to see what this organization was going to be. And like, you know, just how sometimes a coach coach's tenure runs a little thin. Like, I think that's kind of what was going on with Dan here. So, um, not, you know, from a football standpoint, and obviously there's the legal stuff. So um, I think this is the right, the right thing. I think um, fans should be excited. I'm excited. Um, yeah. And I'm just kind of, you know, waiting like everybody else to hear, you know, more about Josh Harris and that group and what their plans are and, um, you know, wait until the sales finalized. Yeah. I, I would say the, you know, two things like one, the, the off the field stuff is so much more important in the, the grand scheme of right. everything. But even if you put that aside for the moment, like you got 25 years, basically of football and it's capped out at like, the RG3 2012 team right. that you were obviously a part of as well, which didn't win a playoff game. Part of that was obviously Robert's injury. Um, but like they've, they've won one, two playoff games. I think it's just one under Dan's stewardship. Like right. it's just, he's clearly not good at putting the right people in place to, to run a football operation. That's going to win games. So purely on a football level, like this is, this is, I think an exciting time. Right. Nevertheless, the, the personal misconduct of, you know, allegedly Dan and people that worked underneath him, uh, that's been widely reported in, in a number of outlets. So, um, if, if that's how you run your football team, uh, on, on the off the field stuff to me, you don't get to own the, own a football team. Uh, and, right. and obviously I think for the fans that are much more, and, and, and I would say also the two are related. Um, but yeah. you know, for fans that just want to see a successful product on the field, um, that's like, this is great news because you're, you're going to get someone in, and actually let's jump into this a little bit now, um, in terms of Josh Harris and who he is and, and the way he's run it, I'm much more familiar with the Philadelphia 76ers and the way they've run than the New Jersey devils, which he's also a part of, mm -hmm. but with the Sixers, like he's a, they're a premier franchise, the way they run things like he pays people. Um, and that gets you the best of the best. And I, and I'm sure as you've talked to, friends around the league and people in the building, like it's not a, exactly a secret that especially before Jason Wright got to town um, and when Bruce was running things and, and the people that ran the the team before Bruce under Dan, like this is a team that was cheap. Like they, they underpaid everyone for everything. And thus you have people that aren't the most qualified, aren't the best of the best and the good ones leave. And, and I think that's the encouraging thing to me from like a football standpoint about Josh Harris is they're going to spend money like they're not you're not going to have scouts that are underpaid and, and looking to leave and uh, you know not be able to retain the good ones because he's going to hire and, you know, whether it's immediately or a couple of years down the road after the Rivera you know, era plays out. Uh, if Ron has some success this year and it takes a little longer until he ultimately steps aside or whatever, however that ends, like he's going to hire a really high level executive to run things on the football side and let that person do their job and give them the resources to do it. And like, that's all you can ask for from an owner. Once you get past the, you know, the basic decency stuff. Yeah. And I think that's just like good leadership and good management, you know? And I think like there's a history there of him doing that in a, in a, in a pro professional sports environment. I think that's encouraging. I think one of the things about Dan that was always a little bit flat for him was that he never seemed to kind of adopt whatever kind of business acumen and professionalism he had in his business sphere about getting good people around him, smart people around him. He always seemed to struggle with that on the football side of it. So, um, you know, I think, I think that those things, you know, like a, a track record, record, a history 
of being able to identify talented people and then being willing to pay them. I think that's something, you know, you, you mentioned that Dan has not always been willing to do. And I remember having a conversation with our equipment guy and, you know, I said, you know, they get in a conference every year and say, you know, how much the, you know, what's the standard going right. And he was like, I'm the 34th highest paid equipment guy in the NFL when I was here in Washington. So that means there was an assistant that was making more than him at some spot. And he was the head guy here. So he's managing all of the logistics of the clothes and the laundry, the orders he's, you know, and he's the 34th paid guy. You know, we didn't have um, like an HR department when I was there, like, you know, because it was like basically the woman at the front desk to work with Miss BJ. So um, I just look at that and I say to myself, like, those were some decisions that probably could have been handled differently. Like I told this to Kime recently, like my wife, you know, I played here for six years had not been in the building until we did a trick or treat event with Ron Rivera, you know, as a staff here, you know, and so like, just thinking about some of those things that I got to experience in other places, um, you know, like the, the, the familiar environment of Atlanta, like San Francisco, just how they try to take care of you in any way possible, like, they were willing to take that extra step to make you feel comfortable and welcome and help you with your moving and all these types of things. And uh, that just wasn't the case here. And you know, everyone wants to, you know, moan and complain about the facilities. And when you look at the facilities compared to other NFL places, they're approximately the same. You know, it's there's not a huge drastic difference in terms of what's available to the athletes here. I think the thing that makes the difference is just kind of that personal touch, you know, and being willing to kind of invest in the environment and the culture from the financial side, which uh, was something that w when I did go to different organizations that I got to see kind of be handled differently. And I thought, wow, like that's an effective way, you know, just as an example, like they paid for childcare when I went to Atlanta. So if my white wife came to a game, she could drop my son off and my daughter at the childcare and come watch the game and hang out with the other parents, other, other teammates, you know, and that's something that wasn't a feature here in Washington. And it's, it's, it's not a huge thing, but it goes a long way. Like talking to some of the guys that I train now who are in the NFL, like that's a huge part of making them feel welcome in this environment that's, you know, so characterized by free agency and, and, you know, the, this kind of impermanence, like those little things go a long way. So um, I, I'm hoping that Harris, you know, with his experience with the Sixers and the Devils, like understands that. And it seems like he does. And um, not only is willing to invest in the high level, you know, personnel, like you were discussing, Craig, but also say, I'm going to invest in the players and the culture here and build something that people are excited to be a part of. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know anything about Josh Harris in terms of like his, like who he is as a person. Um, and I don't say what I'm about to say to like, just dump on Dan for the sake of dumping on Dan, but like Dan is known to be an awkward, like kind of impersonal person. Sure. And he actually didn't have a lot of business. Like he, his business success was extremely limited and timed well that allowed him You're to right. buy the team mm -hmm. along with some other things. And like, he's had a, mostly other business failures. He kind of got, you know, he rode, uh, the the best asset you can arguably own in America, an NFL team, uh, to to the wealth that he's about to accumulate when the check clears, uh, and Harris ultimately buys the team. But like those things trickle down to the organization, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know he he's not hiring people who have an emphasis on personal touch because that's not his thing, right? Um, and, you know, and he doesn't necessarily understand the importance of that compared to what other other or owners, um, you know, Arthur blank, who's got a much more personal touch. And like, look, these are all, I'm not trying to like glorify billionaires because a lot of them have a lot of issues in a lot of ways. That's sure. the nature of being a billionaire. Um, there's always stories. There's always this, there's always that, but like 
Arthur Blank by billionaire standards has has a pretty good personal touch from from the stories that I've heard and, and players that have played there. And um, he cares about that stuff. And so it's not a surprise that Atlanta has that, um, you know, and, you know, I, you've talked about how Kyle has tried to like he made that those mistakes earlier in his career where he was very impersonal and he's tried to learn from those. And so it doesn't surprise me that those were, you know, more emphasized in in getting the best out of players in San Francisco. Well, and also like, I think it's just important. Like one of the reasons Kyle took that job in San Fran is because the ownership there said like, we are willing to be a first class organization. We're willing to invest in the nice charter plane. We're willing to invest in the nice hotels, the childcare, the resources, the strength conditioning, like whatever you need, whatever you feel we need, you and John Lynch to get us to the next level, we're going to do it. And, uh, you know, talking to Kyle and listening to him talk about it since in some podcasts that he's done, like, I think that's, that's something that he probably learned from here and his experience with his dad is like, you know, is, is when his dad came in, you know, that was, that's what Dan said. And then obviously it didn't turn out that way. And so for that, so that ownership support of the coach of the GM, I think it is, you know, like as a young player, I didn't see the significance of it, but the more I've been around other teams and seen more stuff, the, the more important it gets. So I do think that like, that's a great example of a guy who, who in, in an organization that said, we invested in the right guy and Kyle, we invested in the right guy and John, who are both very charismatic people, people, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they get how important that is. And, um, and they made, th- and they made an effort to, to make it better. So I think that that is, you need the support of that ownership. And I'm not sure that always, you know, another thing that I was just thinking about is like, you know, everyone talks about, oh, they, they botched the Sean Taylor thing. They did this. They, I got to meet the team that did the Sean Taylor thing. A lot of them, like, I want to say, you know, the majority of them are just out of college. Right. right. And the reason they're just out of college is because the salary here does not, is not conducive to people making a lot of, to, to, to getting an experienced person in that position. So you can hem and haw as a fan and all that you want. And I, you know, I feel bad for those kids, right? Cause they are kids, you know, they're 22, 23, 24 years old managing a big, big presentation like that, but they don't have any experience. There's no one on the staff that's experienced enough. There's no one here that was a fan of the team that understands how important that is. So I, I think all that stuff is, it, it kind of goes back to just not understanding the value of people and the value of quality people. And, and, you know, whether or not he can identify that, you know, I don't know because I don't know Dan, but I do think that's something significant that, that it it shows up constantly here in this organization. Totally. And I'll give, you know, Ron and Jason some level of credit that they kind of came in and were like, Hey, this ain't, this ain't it. Like we got to do better. And, you know, Dan has always kind of picked his one guy, whether it was Bruce for a decade was the guy who was like Dan's guy and, Bruce got whatever he wanted, uh, which was obviously a huge mistake. But like when Ron came in, it's like, okay, well, whatever Ron says goes. And so some of the stuff has gotten better the last couple of years. Um, well, and now like, like Fred always talks about how, you know, Ron was brought in to change the culture. And I think he's yeah. done a great job of that. Like, I just, I think about the Halloween thing and I, you know, I'm, I'm on the media side. I'm part-time guy. I'm invited to that. I got to bring my kids in, got to walk around the building, got to meet you know, the Martys are handing out candy to my kid. Like that is a, that's a special thing, man. You know, and, and, and it's, and it doesn't take a lot of time, but it's, it's significant. And I think stuff like that is a, is directly correlated to Ron or Ron's wife, whoever put that on. But I think that that is that I look at that and I say, wow, that's something that, you know, when I was here for six years, that never happened. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And what they've run into now is like, they're still running into some of the stuff I'm sure financially where Dan doesn't necessarily want to. And obviously the things have been so 
topsy turvy and unsettled the last couple of years. It puts a complication on everything. But also, you mentioned the facilities. Like now, they are truly running up against the the limitations of their space and and things mm-hmm. like that, as opposed to, hey, we're not even maximizing what we have because like there is a huge difference now as some of the teams, you know, I reference Chicago and Minnesota all the time that have these incredible large spaces to practice in. And they have the video projection screens uh, where they can kind of do walkthroughs in a classroom setting, which helps, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's on the gray area of the rules of, of how legal that is. Um, sure. but like it's, I mean, it's in, it's in the white, so to speak, because it's allowed and teams do it. Um, but it's, it's a classroom setting where they get to do walkthroughs, like stuff that's incredible. And it's, that that's just more of like time space evolving and the commanders haven't yet gotten to that level of upgrade versus like oh they're too cheap to hey everyone this is brett boone would you know it i've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year tune in as i sit down with my friends some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. What is the kind of the the chronology of the to-do list here? Mm. Because it's one thing to say like, okay, the practice facility or the stadium or practice fields or whatever other things you might have in your mind is the the most important thing for the ownership to do. But there's also the logistics of it. Because I had made the argument on the show last week that the practice facility was actually more important than the stadium because that's Mm. where everyone goes to work every day. And while certainly the fans need a great place to go to, if there's a winning team, like, you know, there's a little bit of like, Hey, RFK is a dump, but it's our dump. And like, people will go FedEx. People would go to FedEx if the team was awesome. Um, And so if they can create an atmosphere where the team's awesome, cool. But then Michael Phillips came on and was like, Hey, you know, I hear you, but they got to figure out where the stadium is because they got, that's going to determine what like what kind of facility it, it is are they going to do a everything in dc you know players living in dc practice facility there stadium there same kind of thing uh whether it's dc woodbridge you know loudon landover do they mix and match kind of like they have now like a lot of teams do so i i think there's a lot of questions uh in terms of importance but you know logistically also logan like what's what's kind of the process and what would you be telling Josh Harris to think about in terms of big important steps to take when he officially takes over? Well, I think, um, you know, just based on that feedback, what I would say is that the location is probably going to be the most significant, right? Because like really, really legitimately, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because I played here for six years, but the practice field is probably fine. And what I mean by that is that location, while the, the real estate there is very expensive, 
there's plenty of space to put another building if you needed to. You could put a hard cover and have an indoor field there. Like there's plenty of space. So in terms of location, you don't really need to be frantically searching for a new spot just to search for a new spot. However, like to, to your point, I think it's really important that like if you are going to try and make it a practice facility and the stadium in the same location, like you need to kind of determine that first, right? So, you know, the one thing that I've been hearing a lot of fans kick around, a lot of analysts kick around is like, you know, I want to be at, we want it to be at RFK again, right? And I I would love that. That would be great. I think that would be great for fans, be great for the nostalgia, be great for kind of rebranding and establishing a new identity, right? If that's the case, then just keep the spot in Ashburn, right? And I'm not saying you have to keep it forever because I think that field, that that area, that land is worth a ton of money, right? It's got a tremendous value. Yeah, I'll interject real quick to say, like, as I heard Kime saying this last week, there's a chance that they stay in Loudoun County but sell that specific piece of land because it's right across from one Loudoun. Um, like there's a huge amount of tech there and there's yep. like fiber wiring and, and all this kind of stuff that's around. So like that very specific plot of land could be sold for a buku of money that could right. help pay for the new practice facility somewhere, you know, a couple miles away. That's still very close, convenient to, you know, for, for players to live, et cetera, but, uh, allows for them to kind of start over on space, uh, as opposed to that very specific, very, very, you know, rich plot of land. Right. So I think that that's important to say, but it, like, let's say, let's say hypothetically they wanted to keep it. They do have enough space mm-hmm. there to put in a new building. You know, everyone knows that gross turf field there. You could easily yep. put a building there. Like it would, like it, there's a lot of stuff you can do there, but I do think that selling that spot is probably in the cards at some point, because I think it's worth like something insane, you know, in terms of value. But I, I so I think like first location and then identity for that new location, because as much as Dan wanted, you know, commander's world to be his thing you know like with shopping and all that stuff like i don't know if that's harris's vision um and if that is the vision then you got to find enough space to accommodate that you know because and you want a place where players want to live i think that's the other thing is all the other places that i played they you know atlanta was far away from the stadium um chicago was far away from the stadium houston and san francisco were kind of in the same the practice facility and the stadium were in the same location i think there's pros and cons to both I personally kind of live like living farther away from the stadium because it kind of lets you have a house and, you know, it was suburbs. The real estate value was better as opposed to being in the city where you're kind of, you know, forced to live in a city environment and that's preference. So, you know, whatever he chooses to do, I'm sure the players will be fine with just as long as the, the area isn't like a bad area because I don't want to be raising my kids or sending them to a bad school or whatever. So I think that's what I would kind of just say, look for a, a reasonable area that people want to live in if, if that's what you want to do. <clears throat> and then, yeah. um, so once that's been determined, I think that's the first step. And then if you get RFK, great, then you can probably stay in Ashburn or Loudoun County, whatever you prefer. And I think you just kind of move from there, but I think that location element and finding the space to kind of fit your vision for the new stadium is going to be really important. And, and obviously that goes hand in hand with the RFK thing. Yeah, definitely. To me, RFK is the best site. Just geographically, it's at the center. It's fairly accessible. It's accessible by Metro. Um, Obviously, there's infrastructure in place from the fact that there's been a stadium there before. Like, there's giant parking lots. You know, there is the the fields at rfk now there's kind of that like wreck area mm-hmm. um in the shadow of the stadium i don't know if they would keep that whether they would be like oh we need that space back from our parking lots i don't know exactly how the logistics of that would go but we're, not, sure we're, not, we're not we're not engineers. we're not engineers we're not we're not architects right, right? I'm but not, like I'm not there is pretend. space there right yeah yeah but what I, what I can say is like the fact that there's a metro line right there that's great uh, for those of us that live in the district and, and could get there and, and it also like helps with traffic obviously and all that kind of stuff when you have you know and i would assume they would go 
like a more of a 50,000 seat kind of thing as opposed to a 70, 80,000 seat stadium. That's, that's the way people are going now. Like, isn't the one in Las, Las Vegas is kind of like that. It's like 60,000. Yeah. 000, I mean, like Se- Seattle was the, the model for that. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, wow, if we do 50 and we pack it out, like, and we, there's also some cool acoustic stuff in Seattle that makes it so specifically loud, like the way the stands are built and the sound bounces. Yeah. Um, it's very cool. And you could obviously try to recreate some of that. Um, but if 50,000 people don't have to drive to the game, then your traffic situation is a lot better. Like it's still going to be messy, um, but it's accessible from Maryland. It's accessible from Virginia. It's accessible from DC as opposed to like, if they build this thing in Dumfries, then, you know, getting there, is going to suck unless you live in Dumfries, um, (laughs) you know, like, okay, cool. It's more convenient for the fans that live in, in Southern or central Virginia to come up from Richmond. But like, Oh, uh, yeah. you alienate yeah. your Maryland fan base and um, you and also like I think this is a this is like the the Washington team you know and so right. I think you want it kind of centrally located I mean to, yeah. to that I lo- mean you can you can talk about the specific of like Dumfries is the equivalent of what they have in San Francisco mm. like it's like on the I, same area it's like in yeah this. because Santa Clara is is a solid what 45 minutes south of San Francisco I think it's more than that it's it's San Jose is yeah 45 minutes to an hour and a half depending on traffic like it's it's a right. good little ways you know and um and so, so if you live in in marin county and San, now we're getting to bay area geography but like right. if you live in marin um or oakland east or north of the city of san francisco like getting down to santa clara is awful yeah and if there was a team that was in north of you know san francisco like over time you're probably leaking some of your fan base to that team um and and so I will say, like when that stadium was built, I'm glad you brought that up because I had just gotten there maybe a year or two after. They were having a really hard time selling tickets to that uh, to that stadium. You know, like they had just been pretty good maybe two or three years prior. They'd moved the stadium. They thought everyone was going to kind of travel down with them, <clears throat> and they just didn't. Like the hardcore fans didn't come down there because they they a they upped the the seat prices and they wanted to make it feel like more of a corporate environment. And so again, like those are decisions that the Harris group has mm-hmm. got to make is what kind of feel do you want the stadium to have? To have? And so um, obviously like that, I think that'll impact the location too. You know, like, do you yeah. want it near like, you know, kind of new money and, and have it kind of be a wine and cheese crowd as opposed to a beer and brats crowd? Cause like, you know, maybe then this Loudoun County stadium idea isn't a bad idea. You make a small stadium, ticket prices are crazy businesses buy seats as kind of like this is where we take clients for business meetings and stuff and again that's just a totally different feel but again that's that's the, that's those are the types of the decisions that are kind of looming um you know in lieu of the the new stadium yeah well the thing i was going to say too with like the geography element is like do you really want to alienate maryland yeah because the ravens are there now and like if you're a kid growing up who never gets to go to a game because it's an hour and a half to the commander site in Dumfries yeah. and it's 45 minutes to M and T bank to go watch Lamar Jackson, presuming that he's still there. Um, I, I don't know, like convenience yeah. becomes a factor at, at some point. And, and if you're a parent, like, yeah, you could be a diehard fan, but like your kids going to school with, with half Ravens fans, half command, like all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that the more centrally located you can be, the better um and obviously there's that probably also leads to practice facility somewhere else you could do the practice facility in landover too because they own that land presuming mm. that's a part of the sale um you know that dan isn't going to keep that land for some reason um but presuming that the, and he shouldn't because that's where they're gonna have to play till like 2027 at least anyway 
um, with FedEx. So uh, I would, I would, you know, that from a convenience standpoint, in terms of getting to the stadium, Landover would make a lot of sense to build a practice mm. facility out there. Um, I just don't know in terms of like a, a quality of life thing. I think players would much rather live in all due respect to, to our friends in Maryland, uh, but and specifically that like neighborhood, but the, 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 the quality of life and, and everything is going to be a lot better out in Loudoun County um, where, where guys live now compared to if they moved everything to Landover. That was something that I was talking to my buddies in Miami and they have a stadium like in the city and the practice facility is kind of nearby, but everyone lives like 45 minutes away and drives in because the area ar- directly around the stadium is not. Yeah. Hard Rock Stadium's in a weird spot. Yeah. Not overly nice. So I, I think, I don't know if that's going to affect anybody long-term, but you know, I, I, as a player personally, I want to live relatively close to the practice facility and feel very like, oh, I can get to work whenever I need to get to work. And I know not everyone feels that way, but that's something that I hope they consider with the new location. Yeah, definitely. So my my based off nothing prediction is that the RFK sites can be worked on. Um, there will be like other stuff that is there. Um, I think they're also I'll, I'll put I'll say this too. I've I've heard uh, you know variations of this floated as well that they could do something at the RFK site similar to what they have at the Star. Um, and in Frisco, um, which, is... which Dallas's facility oh, okay. where you have this, the big stadium, um, but you also have a practice facility that serves as kind of a multi-use, like you have a small stadium basically as well. Right. And could you host, um, high school football there? Could, right. you know, could you have exhibition type of events there? Um, could the Washington spirit play there? Um, Mm -hmm. NWSL, like you get another, another pro team involved or like if they build tennis courts or something like have, you know, you know, the, the annual tennis event that comes through, like what some kind of, you know, you talk about like the village environment where it's not necessarily, uh, or I mean, they do have a mall at Frisco. Um, but like, I I've heard that bantied about as well, that you have kind of a multi-purpose thing you have a, a practice facility in terms of an actual field or fields that also then is used for actual competitions and it, it's kind of like a ten thousand or smaller seat stadium that where like in texas the way they do it is the high school football championships are played there every year mm. um could you do something like that um and, and i've heard that bantied about as well so there's there's a lot of options obviously as as josh harris takes over I'll be asked about all this and there's a lot of, you know, government red tape that has to be specifically for that site, um, cut through as well. They've got to get permission. Uh, then they got to buy it and then they have to build on it or, or, you know, get a lease and then go on it. And then, you know, in terms of the actual construction, like they're going to be at FedEx for a while anyway. Um, yeah. so that's, that's another thing to, to think about. Last thing we'll talk about real quick is kind of just putting a bow on the Snyder era. Um, and I wanted to, to specifically ask you this. As, as a player who was playing for the organization as things kind of really turned, because the first decade was obviously frustrating as could be of Snyder's ownership. And then all of a sudden in 2012, this magic season happens. You're part of that team. And then it so quickly falls off and it seems like the frustration turned to vitriol and then turned to apathy very quickly. Mm-hmm. And just the fan base either was like, I hate this. This is garbage. And this guy is terrible. And he's not, ne- we're never going to win as long as he's here. Or 
that same thought, but instead of, I hate this, it's like, I don't care anymore. What was it like to be a player and kind of feel that high of 2012 and then feel the fan base turn on the outside as, as your career continued? Yeah. I mean, 2012, um, it's going to sound hyperbolic, but it was the most fun I ever had playing football. Like it was fantastic. Like the, the, the fans and the city were just so supportive of the team. And it was just a glimpse of what, you know, what this, what this market can be. And I think that's super exciting and I'm really glad that I was a part of it. And then, you know, I do feel in some kind of crazy way, somewhat kind of responsible for the, the, the down climb, because ultimately, like, I think if you win football games, right, if you win football games, the fans stay around, right? If you make, if you win playoff games, the fan base stays strong, the fan base stays loyal. And um, I felt like, you know, in a weird way, like I was a part of the teams that kind of started that downturn. And, you know, this organization went through some pretty bad luck in terms of the Alex Smith thing, the Kirk Cousins trade, all that kind of stuff. And then not being able to get a healthy quarterback. I I don't think I I understand that that is um, that 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 is not necessarily something you can control. And so, like, if, if Alex Smith is healthy and plays three years of football and they make the playoffs two years in a row, are we talking about the same type of complete? meltdown here in Washington. Like, I don't know. And you know, it's, it's a hypothetical obviously, but, um, so I think, yeah, like I just, I, I I want them to win games like this team to win games badly. I think the fan base here deserves that. I like, it was so, it was so cool, Craig, to be there that Dallas game in 2012 to clinch the playoffs. And that place was electric. The fans were electric. Um, you know, you'd go to the grocery store and people were proud to be Washington football team fans. And that has just not been the case in the 10 years since I've left. So hopefully we can get the, the, they can get back to there. And, you know, obviously they got to start making good football decisions and hire the right coaches, hire the right people. And I'm not saying Ron's not that guy because I think Ron's perfectly capable of doing that. He's, he, you know, he's done it before in his past, but I do think that, you know, those are some things like as much as the, the team ownership is a huge thing and, and that title changing hands is a big deal. I think they they got to start making some some good decisions and, and giving these guys the support that they need to win games because ultimately I think if you're trying to get get back to that level like you got to win you know you got to win games. Yeah, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how how Harris comes in and like does he try to find the Daryl Morey of the NFL like does he just find the best executive in the league and be like I'm going to pay you a bunch of money you're going to come here um and how does that jive with Ron or without Ron depending on how this first season goes and kind of the very analytics heavy approach and all those kinds of things and and, and like you said like the football and, and winning and losing is ultimately going to matter the most um but I do think there will be a bit of a honeymoon um Sure. And, you know, people are going to be excited. Like I anticipate their first game being played on Sunday or Monday night football. My guess is they probably, uh, hype it up with the Cowboys. Uh, and, and for the first time in a while, it's going to feel like FedEx is a gigantic home field advantage on, mm. on game one. But like you said, like over time, the way that that's going to sustain the way you're going to keep that stadium as full as possible, the way it's going to not be filled with road fans is, is winning. Um, but, and I think the other thing is it doesn't even need to be crazy winning. It needs to be like yeah. getting to the playoffs, like standing tall, walking into the playoffs and maybe getting a win in a playoff game. Like think about how crazy this city would be. You know, everyone's been upset about the name change and I get it. You know, the nostalgia associated with it, all that kind of stuff, the, the decline of the organization. But I guarantee you, they, you win a playoff game here and this city's on fire in a good way. And I, and I right. just I hope that that happens, man, because I think that would be outstanding for everybody involved. Totally. And you combine that with the fact that you don't anticipate any more 
like Washington Post stories dropping about Correct. terrible yeah. things. Like there will be some, like they're not done, right? Like I would anticipate at least one more story from Don Van Nata from ESPN. I would anticipate, you know, yeah, or the Washington Post doing obviously more reporting on the Mary Jo White report when it comes out on these federal investigations. Like we're not out of the woods on that stuff, but the difference is like when he's no longer in charge, it's like, okay, we can consume that story without the kind of moral conundrum of, okay, well, is it still okay for me to root for the team? Yeah. Like, cause he doesn't own it anymore. And I, and I think that's huge, obviously for the fan base. And there's been so many of those moments over time from before you were playing to, you know, during, and, you know, some of them were football, more football adjacent than others. Like, you know, obviously on the non-football adjacent, you have like Snyder suing fans for season ticket deposits that they couldn't repay mm. during the recession. Like there's, I, I went through a lot of those moments, um, in the monologue that I, I did on the show last week that we put out in the bonus episodes. So if you want kind of the full recap, uh, you can listen to that or, you know, go on the internet and find, find the compilations of them. There's, there's a lot, but there's also like the kind of, you know, which you were in the, not necessarily in the middle of, but you were, you were at least caught in the shrapnel of, of like the fight between Snyder, RG and the Shanahan's. And it's like, what's, I would imagine the frustration fans felt at the time, you know, maybe it's a little different with hindsight, seeing how everybody's career pan careers panned out. But like, I can't imagine like thinking like, Oh, we've got this hall of fame coach. You've got this his son, who's this, this hotshot offensive coordinator, and we have this this quarterback who just won rookie of the year, and like they're all fighting each other. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? And, and so, you know, hopefully under stronger leadership, you also avoid those kinds of situations. They happen in the NFL, but that they just so that just so boiled out of control. Um, that to, like I look at that as like one of the key kind of points in the Snyder era when you look back, and and one that really kind of encapsulates what it was like to be a fan during it absolutely and um i will say you know like i mentioned that i played for a couple different teams and the media here because it was my first team i was with obviously in the nfl i was just it was just like it's relentless it's a relentless group of people they're always looking for stuff to talk about and that's the job you know like we're doing the same thing right now so no no harm no foul there but the type of stuff you're talking about is was just always like it was, and then I go to like, you know, Chicago and that's, you know, they were a pretty big market, right? Chicago's a pretty big market. And it was just like, yeah, Hey, you know, like, you know, who's your favorite linebacker of all time? Oh, that's great. You know, who's your best friend on the team? It was just so different having those conversations as opposed to like, Hey, like, how do you feel about the name change? How do you feel about Robert? How do you feel about Mike? How do you feel about, you know, Kyle saying this? And you're just like, whoa you know like it was just it was a it was a constant deluge of just stuff to navigate and and talk about and just became really really challenging so um i do think that that will be good you know it's funny like i was talking to someone on the football side um when i first got here and the how overwhelmed they were because it was just after like another story i forget what it was you know one of the legal things he was like man like we just don't have time to talk or think about football the same way as we do in other markets because there's all this stuff here so i'm kind of hoping kind of to your point that when dan leaves you know some of those issues go with him and the fans can kind of say focus on the team and the guys on the football side can also say focus on the team because i think that's super important too right is that like when you get an exasperated coach just being like i don't know how like we just we're talking about this other thing all the time and then it was like and then I remember talking to him and then the next week, another story broke. And it was just like this constant thing of just navigating stuff that is unrelated to football. 
and hopefully that 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 it's that's moving on now and that that's done and again if all that stuff kind of clears you know you get a, a more effective management style you get people making better decisions higher up you get more investment and stuff and you don't have to talk about things not related to football what kind of product could you get here from from the from this staff even and i think that's something that's really important and it gets me kind of excited and i think it should get fans excited it's just that they're move, they're stepping into a new phase everybody here even if they've been around for a couple of years because like i think there was a lot of there was this huge albatross of all this other unrelated football stuff and football related stuff drama so to speak that made it really hard to do do your job here yeah um when we talk about closing the book on the snyder era um that brings up the question of a rebrand um not that we're going to spend a, a huge amount of time <laughs> on it but and i i do think it's it's an interesting thought um for a couple of reasons one i don't get the sense that i don't get the sense that commanders was the most popular uh name as they did all the testing uh i'll put it that way uh but i, I do get the sense that the owner who's on his way out really wanted commanders <laughs> and so if you can get a better name uh it seems like something that's at wor worth at least exploring and you might not have to do all of the research again because you did it you just listened to it better this time mm. uh better in quotation marks um so that's one thing uh i, I do think that you know kaim has mentioned that you have to wait five years uh to that, do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so i do think you have a little bit of time right and if, if five years from now you are moving into a new stadium you haven't really had the success that you want uh yet because like look if they go three years from now and somehow sam howell's incredible and they win a freaking super bowl they're not changing the name i mean shoot even if they gonna... win a playoff game man like you think about it, if you win right. a playoff game and it's trending the right direction you got a couple winning seasons like you're the commanders now in right. my opinion i know i totally agree um, but if, if for whatever reason you haven't yet, um, you kind of continued and you haven't quite dug out of the hole, you're still making your changes. And now all of a sudden you're about to go into a new stadium and you feel confident that you can get the new, the name that you want, you know, you've done the IP work or whatever, then I think it's, I, I don't think it's unreasonable. Um, you know, the other option, I wonder if, you know, because obviously there was a way for them to go to from the old nickname to Washington football team to commanders. Like, would they go back to Washington football team on some kind of temporary basis? And then, I like that better personally, but you know, I, I'm I do, too. Like, I would I would consider it and be like, all right, we're going to be the Washington football team. And then uh, I just like know, that as it, the name, like just right. And, and, <laughs> and tell like Goodell and whoever else is in the decision making process, like, look, we're going to do this temporarily. Um, for now, but like, if we have the success, we think we are like, that's just going to be us from now on, like yeah. we're it, with the, the option to become permanent, if you will. But I don't know where you are on, on the potential for a rebrand. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just, in terms of, if I'm Josh Harris, like, am I thinking about it? Yeah. Is it like high on my list of priorities? Like probably not, you know, like I'm thinking about the stadium. I'm thinking about the practice facility, I'm thinking about re-engaging the community of fans. And I understand like you want a name that people like and are excited about, but like as a, and this is just maybe how my brain works. I don't really care. Like, I don't really care about the name of a team. I want them to be good at football. Like if yes. I'm if a fan. So like, how do I prioritize that stuff as opposed to kind of the superfluous other stuff that name branding colors, jerseys, I get fans want that to be cool, but like, you know, the new England Patriots, like teams that win, 
they they get something to them and it's like yeah, oh, how good gosh. how good is any particular team name anyway like right. is patriots it's, really that genius yeah it's patriots and it's like the steelers like i get it but like you like them because they've been successful yeah. and they're like it's iconic because yes. of what they've done right. not because of the word i do think commanders is particularly clunky like yeah, it's, it's way too weird. long yeah. it doesn't fit on gear like there's no good shortened nickname people like to joke about the commies or you know i'll, <laughs> I'll go mandos sometimes but like there's not like there's a lot of problems with it, but if you win, you win and it's fine. Um, I do think I, I agree with you that Washington football team is is better. Yeah. Um, and if they don't win a lot and they're going into a new stadium and they could kind of restart it all at once. And the other thing that I've heard that I like as a, as a very good point is it kind of puts a bow on the Snyder era where it's I like it. it's over. It's behind us. We're not talking about it again. And I could I could see the value in that as well. Yeah, and I and I I totally agree. I totally I totally get that hundred hundred percent. If I'm a new guy, maybe that's something I want to prioritize. But again, like, just where is it in the hierarchy of needs? And I and I get it. I understand. Yeah, ending ending the Dan thing, but you know, is it is it uh, is it high on my list? If I'm the new guy, probably not. Is is just my perspective. But I'm not Josh Harris, and he might feel differently about it. Right. All right. Last thing. Uh, I got, I thought of another question that we didn't put in our list of potential questions, but I want to run this by you real quick and it's football adjacent, um, or not even football adjacent. It's football. So Harris in Philadelphia hires Daryl Morey, who is, or first he hires Sam Hinkie and they go through the process with the Sixers. Like saying, giant, right? Yeah. Just so yeah. people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 So Harris, who also owns the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers, um, when he took over, he greenlit the process as it's as it's been known, uh, which was basically a giant intentional tank job because in the NBA, the roster building, mm. you know, needs to have a star player. Right. If you don't have one of the six best players on the planet, you're never winning a championship. That's the nature of the NBA. It's very different than the NFL, where like the closest thing you might have to that is a star quarterback and the Ravens won with Joe Flacco. Like, right. and there's plenty of stories that without throughout NFL history, right? So he was like, this is the best way to win. We're going to go full bore towards that. It's a, and they used a very analytics based approach in terms mm -hmm. of how they played. It helped shape the style. It helped shape who they took from like a roster building standpoint, all that kind of stuff. The analytics movement in the NBA is I would say more advanced and also basketball is a more analytics friendly game than football is. There's so many more variables in football, sure. including the fact that you have, you know, over double the amount of players on the field at, at one time. Right. Like that's just more factors, um, you know, downs distances as opposed to kind of the free flowing nature of a basketball game that is generally divided into pretty clean offensive and defensive possessions. Long wind up point is if Harris takes an analytical approach to team building to or hires an executive that takes an analytical approach to team building to building a style of play, what does that look like? Um, and, and is there anybody in the league that you think now does a good job of kind of being forward thinking and using a lot more data than has been traditionally used in the league? Oh man, I wish I would have had time to look this up, but I don't have any off the top of my head for, for that first part. But in terms we of, we can circle back to this for sure next yeah. week or in the future when we've had a little more time to dig in, but I just thought of it and I thought it was interesting. No, it's, it's something it's, that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. It's a really good question. And so, yeah, what I would say is that if I'm trying to build a team and I want immediate success, I think this roster's close. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's close. And I, 
you know, we've talked about some of the issues that I have with the with the group, you know, is the offensive line, you know, plus offensive line, maybe can it be elevated with play calling? Sure. You're looking for another playmaker on the defense, linebacker, corner, whatever it is, right? So I think, you know, you have a good draft this year, maybe even closer. But what I would say, if I'm trying, and, and this year is especially interesting, I think, for, for this question, because Caleb Williams is going to be the first pick next year, probably. You know, everyone that I've talked to in the scouting world is, you know, it's so funny. We were talking about the quarter, these quarterbacks at the Combine, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, all these guys, and everyone kept bringing up Caleb Williams, like at nauseum. And I was like, and they were like, he is Michael Jordan. And so, you know, for your point about kind of the, the rebuild, you know, you need a franchise player. Maybe that's your franchise quarterback next year. Maybe that's that dude. And so if I am thinking, if I'm forward thinking about that, I'm going to try if I'm the new uh, GM coming in this offseason, probably starting right when I get in, to trade something so that I have two first-round picks for next year. Because I want to give myself the ability to trade up for Caleb Williams. And think about it. You know, everyone talks about rebranding, all this stuff. Th- nothing rebrands better, in my opinion, than a starting you know franchise quarterback. And what right. I mean by that is he's the face of your team. He's going to do interviews. He's going to be all over the place. He's going to do shampoo commercials, all that kind of stuff. I want to make sure I have that opportunity. So there's a couple guys on the roster that I think you could move to give yourself that opportunity. Most of them are on the defensive line. So, you know, like keep an eye on this year. Like he won't be, he won't be here. The owner or the the new GM won't be in in time to implement this policy. But if I'm the GM, I'm, I'm probably drafting a defensive lineman at 16. I'm looking if sweat has any trade value to get me into something that I've got. If I'm, if I am going Caleb Williams here, if, if that's what I'm trying to do, trying to get first round draft capital first and a high second and say, Hey man, we have tools now to say we can move up and draft the Michael Jordan of next year's draft. And I know that's a year away. That seems crazy, but you know, we're talking about building a team and then all of a sudden you've got a pretty good roster with an excellent quarterback on a rookie deal. And you say, let's let it rip. And if I'm, if I'm Josh Harris, if I'm this group, uh, that's something I'm definitely, definitely considering, but you need to move a piece. It just depends on which piece that is and if you can get enough value for it to kind of um, – I might even trade two players. I'll be, I'll be like, here, here are these two players for a first-round pick or a first and a second next year. Let's see if we can get it going. Like, that that's how important that would be. And I think that this year that, – that question for this year is especially significant because of the two quarterbacks in next year's draft. Yeah, by the way, uh, that is that is Gonzaga College High School's uh, Caleb Williams. Oh, so really? He, I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, yeah, he's a D.C. guy. So – um, talk about the potential for him to be a star here. Um, yeah. you know, I'm almost always wary of that. Like the hometown, yeah, like it, it worked with LeBron, uh, but you know, outside of that, a, how many, he's a unique guy, right? Yeah. How many, how many guys have been drafted to their hometown team? And it's like, I mean, Derek Rose, it worked for a little bit and then it very much didn't. And, you know, there, there's been some success in moderate levels, but it does definitely, uh, I mean, there's also the scarring here of like, obviously Dwayne. Um, who was a local kid and, and didn't work out, but Caleb Williams is a different kind of prospect. So um, that's interesting. Um, and, and certainly would go counter the way that the team has been run this off season. Um, well, but I don't think it's, it's a crazy idea at all. I think it's actually a really smart idea and had, had the new ownership been in place in let's say January, I do wonder how different everything looks. Yeah. I think, I think that could have, that process could have, that process could have started this year. Assuming you think one of these guys is a franchise changing guy. And I'm, yeah. 
I'm in the boat that is leaning. Like I'm in, I'm in the Bryce Young boat. I don't know if I'm fully committed to say he's going to change your franchise. Yeah. I think well, I'm in like very... starting it in terms of planning ahead for next year. I see. Yeah, but I'm saying even like maybe you make a move, you move up to draft, you know, Richardson or whatever. You you you, you yeah. start that process now. But I do think it works better going into 2024. Right? Is that right? Yeah. 2024. So yeah. I think that um, th- again, like that's something that I would kind of. This offseason, this season, keep an eye on when that GM gets here, when they start planning stuff out. Because if you think he's that dude, like, I'm going to try and get my – because, again, I look at Philly, and I think Philly's just done such a great job in terms of team building. They always have two first-round picks. They've done a great job of that. And because it gives them the ability to say, hey, man, here's two firsts. We're going to switch spots with you. Let's get up there and get that guy we want to get. And so, yeah, I think that would be something analytically I would do. And especially you see – and the other thing with analytics guys, especially in the NFL now, is they I think they are decreasing the value of first-round draft picks. So do you trade that first-round draft pick for a franchise quarterback? Like, would they be in, would they be in the Lamar sweepstakes this year? I think more right. likely so um, than the guys in there now. Yeah. I will say this about Williams. If he's actually that dude, I don't know that, like, if, you know, if you're, if you think he's Peyton Manning. Yeah. Would you trade seven first-round picks? <laughs> like, I'm saying, like, if you're the team, like, would you, would you, someone calls you and is like, I will give you seven first round picks so that I can go to one and take Caleb Williams. Would you tell them no? What do you mean? What I tell if, them if no? you really, if you're really like Caleb Williams is Peyton Manning, yeah, or t- yeah, you know, like, yeah, like I mean, it, it, that's so invaluable. Like, I just don't know the the feasibility of trading up to that first pick. Like, you you can't possibly know. Like right. with 100% certainty. I think, I think that's the problem. That's the thing. I immediately had that thought. I was like, if, if, if you know, if you know that this is Peyton Manning, the guy, yeah, he the goes first- out, he has every bit of a year that you think he can for USC he wins the Heisman. He's incredible. He's far and away the number one pick. And you're a hundred percent sure he's going to the hall of fame. I think the highest I would go is four. The highest I would go. I wouldn't yeah. go seven, but I, you know, yeah. I would, but like, my know, point is if you're, if you're the Texans, Oh, yeah. they're probably, they, I mean, it's they, not, they let's say the Texans, <laughs> like, right, right, exactly. Like if you, if you're the team with the number one pick, what trade is an acceptable terms where you're giving up the chance to take that guy? And I just don't know what that trade is. I don't is. know what it is. Yeah. That's a great point. So, so it's, it is, it does get funky. It does get hairy, but I think the idea of like being willing to give stuff up and having some flexibility to go get a guy, um, is, is well put. It's just like, if he's that guy, um, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know. You're you're saying that they might not be willing to. to yeah, I don't know what the price is going to be, and I don't know that there is a price. Well, you um, just hope the guy. You hope you get the Chicago Bears from this year in the spot. So right, they got a young quarterback. I mean, that'd be tough, man. Yeah, God, Carolina. Help. Carolina has Bryce Young. He has a good year, but it's you know, it's not great. Yeah, they're it's in the, not. They're, they're not. They're not taking Williams, but they're willing to take your four first rounders. Right. Um. That's that's kind of what you need. All right. That was a fun little football end. Uh. Wednesday. Huge show. Should have mentioned this off the top. Uh, we are doing a crossover episode with Brian Baldinger and Jason Lockenfora. So super pumped about that. Uh, that is the Wednesday slash Thursday pod in your audio feeds Thursday morning. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Next week, uh, Mock Draft 2.0 slash Final Point uh, as the draft <laughs> is coming up on Thursday. So uh, Monday, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the most commanders players in the draft. So that's mm. our plan for Monday. And then we'll do a mock draft uh, that'll come out the morning of the draft on Thursday. So uh, that's that's the plan. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're watching or listening right now. 
And for Logan, I'm Craig. We'll see you next time on Take Command.